Matthew 16, where Peter and Jesus are talking. Actually, Jesus and all the disciples are talking. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responds back to Peter and says, you are Peter, which means a little rock. And upon this rock, this big bedrock of truth, I will build my church. And so last week, I, I hope I hammered home the idea that this is Jesus' church. It's Christ's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the elder's church. It's Jesus' church. And so we don't have the right or the authority to just do whatever we want to do and call it church because when we do that, we cease being the church. So that's what, where we ended it up. Now, the problem with that is, is that, A, we could just say whatever we want to say and say that it was Jesus and just stick that on it, and there's, there, there has to be some outside source. I mean, and if you've watched the news the last few weeks, everybody's been talking about fault, uh, false news stories, fake news stories, fake news, and, and all that's been kind of strolling around in, in, on your feeds and everything. And the reality is, is just because something's printed doesn't necessarily make its truth, Right? In fact, I, I, during the election, I saw a, 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 an article written in the Huffington Post that said, here are the reasons why if Jesus were alive today, he would absolutely vote for Hillary. And then, then I saw a, a post on a different news site that said, if Jesus were alive today, here's why he would absolutely vote for Trump. And I, I didn't look, but I'd be willing to bet that I could have found an article that would have told me that Jesus would have voted for the Green Party and the Socialist Party and the, this party and that party. And we can say whatever we want to say and say that it's Jesus' church, but that doesn't necessarily make it so, right? Let me give you an example. I, I own a Jeep. I promise I own it. I've got the title, it's got my name on the title, I had to pay for the tag. And it drives me insane to be somewhere and see my daughter, Molly, drive by and somebody go, oh, there's Molly in her Jeep. I'm like, no, it's my Jeep, it's not her Jeep. <laughs> and if you look at the Jeep right now, I guarantee you, it's probably parked out in the parking lot, on the mirror is a pink scunchie and a hair thing on a bop, and, and in the cigarette lighter is a charger that's, that's pink, and, and that there's, if you look in the back seat, it's all her school books, and it probably smells distinctly of Chick-fil-A, and, and so whose Jeep is it, right? It's my Jeep, but it looks like, acts like, smells like it's Molly's Jeep. And so we can say it's Jesus' church, but if it looks like the world's church, acts like the world's church, and is no different, then whose church is it really? And so we've got to have something outside of ourselves to look at to say, is this really Jesus' church? Because we can't trust our own heart, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is destruction, and so this morning, the title of the sermon is The Church, the People of the Book. Because we have to have a source outside of ourselves that tells us what truth is. Or else we're just cast around by every wind of doctrine, every new thing that comes down the pike, every little idea over here or over there. We've got to have something outside of ourselves that is an objective source of truth. And so we read... In 2 Timothy 3.16, these words. All Scripture 
is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Father God, as we approach this text, Lord, I pray that you would hammer home to us the power of your word. God, that we would see without a doubt that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. And that your word is the source of our strength. That your word is the word that was promised it would not return void. Let every man be a liar and let God be truth. And God, I pray that we would be Jesus' church by going hard after you and following after your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, as I read commentaries, one of the first things that I saw that I, I concerned me was, was this idea that says, all, when Paul wrote this, 2 Timothy, and, and probably written in the 50s A.D., about about. 20 years after Jesus was alive, that uh, all, scripture that Paul would have meant that to be the Old Testament. And that when Paul wrote this, that he was telling Timothy, hey, you know, you read the law, read the prophets, read the book of Psalms, and then that will get you forward. And so we can't use this text and apply it to the New Testament. I, I would say I'd completely disagree with that. And let me give you a couple of reasons why. Now, for the first part of this sermon, this is going to be a little bit like a, a, a class, so bear with me. Because some of you are going to find this really interesting, and some of you are probably going to be going, well, he just shut up and get on to the preaching part. So just bear with me. So we know that, it, that the Old Testament is given by God. We read that over and over and over. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Romans 7 says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So we know from Old Testament and New Testament that the Bible says of itself at the very least that the Old Testament is good and holy, but does that include the New Testament? Let me show you a couple of things. Maybe you've never seen this before. First of all, let's start in 2 Peter. And, the, and 2 Peter says that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So here Paul, I'm sorry, Peter lays out and puts the prophets on the same par as this, the writings and speakings of Jesus and the writings and, and sayings of his apostles. And so Jesus here, I mean, Peter here puts that all on the same level. Now, in 2 Peter 3.15, we read this. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. So here, Peter is recognizing that Paul has written a bunch of letters to churches. We have those letters today. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We have those letters that Peter is talking about. And he says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Any of you have read Romans? Any of you have read Colossians? You read some things in there and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? I, I believe that 
Paul is the writer of Hebrews, and we can talk about that later. But in Hebrews, Paul, the writer there, whoever it is, is going along and he's talking about Melchizedek and the priesthood of Melchizedek, which nobody, I don't care who you are, fully understands what that's about. I mean, you're reading that going, what in the world is he talking about? Oh my gosh, and you're trying to put all these pieces together. And then he goes, I would talk to you about the complicated things of the word and move off this little milk stuff, but you all can't handle it. And I'm like, you're thinking that's the easy stuff? And so Peter, you're saying the stuff that Paul writes is hard to understand. In fact, some people are going to twist it and make, turn it into lies, which you know what they're still doing today, by the way. And then he says, as they do the other scriptures. Here, Peter raises the letters of Paul to the same level as those other scriptures, the Old Testament, that he puts them on the same plane. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing and he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He puts two quotes there right beside each other. The laborer should not go without his pay and don't muzzle the ox. He puts them as if they're equal. Well, the first quote that he gives us there is a quote from Deuteronomy 25.4. Don't muzzle the ox. The second quote that he gives us is from Luke 10, 7. And here, Paul is quoting Jesus' words in Luke and puts it on the same level as the book of Deuteronomy. So Paul affirms that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are on the same par with Deuteronomy. That they're, they're, they're on the same level of Scripture. So here we have Peter saying that the letters of Paul are scripture. Here we have Paul saying that the gospels are scripture. Now in Jude, we have this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly desires. Well, that's a quote from 2 Peter 3.3. Here Jude says, I'm quoting scripture, and he's not quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting 2 Peter. Do you see the way that that's kind of woven together? You've got Peter saying Paul is scripture. You've got Paul saying that the gospels are scripture. And here you've got Jude saying that the writings of Peter are scripture. And so the Bible asserts for itself that the book that you have in your hand today, the very text that you have sitting in your lap is Scripture. And that tells me that when Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, which was 2 Timothy is the last book that he wrote, that when he tells Timothy all Scripture is breathed out by God, he's not just talking about the Old Testament. He's saying we can trust the book that you've got in your hand. Every word of that book is truth. And so we see all Scripture means all of the book, and all Scripture is breathed out by God. The writer, the author of the book that you have, God used holy men and he worked through them so that we see their personality, we see their language, we see their attitudes, we see their spirits. But it's God who inspired it. That God who breathed it out. Now that's really important. Because who's the author? God is the author. 
And so when we're reading God's word, we recognize that God's the author and we try to honor the author's intended meaning. We try to honor that God said this stuff for a reason. Now, I worked at a construction company in Birmingham. I remember very well this happening. I had been working that night on the network and I was finished up. It was about 10 o'clock. And so I start to print something out and it was an old kind of a, a laser printer and the, the paper starts coming like halfway out and then it gets all scunched up in there and I get this you know flashing PC load letter flashing on the printer I'm like what does that even mean and and so I, I'm looking up underneath there and I realize that there's these rollers that turn the paper out and they've gotten all gunked up with stuff and so I'm like oh my gosh I gotta get out of here it's like 10 o'clock and I'm tired of being at work and so I, I I'm going to get it and I pull out the tray and I'm trying to figure out how to get those things cleaned off and I, I go and get some some rubbing alcohol and, and swab and I can't quite get to it and so I, I get my pocket knife out and I go to kind of prize it a little bit and I hear this bink sound and all of a sudden the air is full of springs and little roller balls and then it's and they just go everywhere and so now I got springs and everything laying all over the floor and I'm like oh my gosh and and I, I hadn't worked there very long and so this is an expensive printer and I'm like they're gonna fire me over this printer and I I you know I go call in and say hey not gonna make it tonight and so then I go trying to figure out how to put this printer back together and I worked all night long trying to figure out how to get all these springs back in there. And I think I'd have it right and I'd, I'd send something to print and it'd, the paper would start to come out and it'd throw springs everywhere again. And I'd, I had to wait, this was pre-really big internet stuff. And so I had to wait until eight o'clock in the morning and I called the guy who was the manufacturer, the company that was the manufacturer of the printer, and they told me really quick how to fix it. They knew how to fix that. Now, I'd spent all night trying to figure it out on my own, but once I got to the guy who had made the printer, the people who knew everything that there was about the printer, they were very quickly able to walk me through how to fix it. If God is the author of Scripture, who knows you better than him? Who knows me better than him? Who knows how the earthly condition works better than him? God being the author means that we need to pay attention to this. This isn't just some book written by some Yahoo that lived 6,000 years ago who just happened to be kind of smart. This is a book that's inspired by God. He made us. He knows what's best for us. He knows what we need. And yet we'll run to 50,000 other books before we consult his book about how to do it. We'll listen to Oprah tell us how to fix their marriage. We'll listen to, to some other Yahoo tell us how to, how to fix their personality and how to do this, that sort of thing. And the whole time, leaving our Bible sitting on the coffee table. And that's just, let me use the technical term for it, that's just dumb. So the very fact that God inspired this word, that God breathed it out, should motivate us. In Hebrews 1.1, we read, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Do you realize how shocking that information is? God did not have to communicate to us. I mean, we've joked about how if you look at cultures throughout the world, they all have these really wackadoo ideas of who God is and what the, the thing is. And, and it's all things that men came up with themselves. You know, if the, the volcano's erupting, we're gonna go throw a Virginian in there and, and, and appease the, the, the volcano gods. And we have to sacrifice the, the, the salt. None of you chuckled at the Virginian. If I use that so often that 
that it's just burnout now. Bonnie's saying, yep, yep, it's played. I got to come up with another one. My bad. So, but people come up with these all, all these ideas on their own of what God is. God didn't have to tell us who he was and what he expected from us. But he did. He told us. He revealed himself to us. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've talked to people and they say, well, my God would never. I think that my God would. You see, I, I, I put that on level with blasphemy because God is God and he chose to show us who he was. He chose to show us how he rewards good and punishes evil. We don't have the right to change that. And if we do, it's like a couple of little kids in their mom and dad's bedroom playing dress up, acting like mom and dad don't exist while they're in the house that they paid for, wearing the clothes that they wear. God spoke. So all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. And then Paul lays out how it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching. Now that's really important because there's a bunch of times I've been in churches and I've heard, hey, we've got a Wednesday night Bible study and then I go to the Wednesday night Bible study and then I sit down and we're not actually studying the Bible. We study what John Piper says about the Bible. Or we watch a video, what somebody else says about this thing. We, we have a real hard time. In fact, whenever I've been in groups that tried to decide what we're going to study next, and they're saying, well, you know, there was this good book, and there was this good book, and I, I'll say, well, what about Galatians? I get treated like, well, quit being a smart aleck, man. Let's get serious here. God's Word is profitable for teaching. That's what we need. We need the book. We need the word. We don't need what somebody else thinks about the word. We need the word. So why would we go to somebody else's food instead of eating it for ourselves? Why don't we dig into God's word? God's word is profitable for teaching. That's what we need. And we wonder why the church is so anemic. We wonder why we have no power in our lives. invariably when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I just, I, I, I don't have any power in my spiritual walk. You can almost always trace that back to, how's your Bible reading going? Ah, let's just forget study. How's your Bible? Well, you know, I, I read it once a week. We've got to feed on God's word if we're going to have strength. In fact, Jesus said, in his commandment, which we're going to dig really deep into when we, we get to the church goes. But he said, go and make disciples. And then he defined how to make disciples. He said, teaching them all that I taught you. The way that we're supposed to teach new converts is teaching what Jesus said. We're not supposed to be asking the question, what would Jesus do? We're supposed to be saying, this is what he did. This is what he said. This is what Jesus very clearly did here. And so God's word is profitable for teaching. One of the only times in my life that I've had to stand in front of my congregation and confess as sin something in my life was this. I stood in front of uh, my church and God had convicted me that when someone brought me a theological question, when somebody brought me 
uh, a question going on in their marriage, I realized that my first instinct was to reach over my Bible to a book written by some other Yahoo. And God showed me in my own heart how sinful and wicked that was. We have the answers that we need. And yet, I don't know about you, but often I just leave them sitting on the shelf. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, which means that when there's sin in my life, God's word convicts me of it. Let me me tell you something that happens here. I won't say that it happens every day, but it happens quite often. I'll be walking through the gathering area. I'm walking along, just doing my thing. I've gotten a text that, hey, the heater's not working in this room, and I'm going in that direction, and somebody will stop me, and they'll say, hey, preacher, let me ask you something. And so they'll tell me about something, and I'm like, okay, thank you very much. And they'll say this. They'll say, now, I ain't trying to tell you how to do your job. But... That's a loud but every time. I ain't trying to tell you what to do, but. Now, I need to input just like everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes when I get that, it'll make me angry. Don't know about you. I'm just, I'm sharing my own heart here. And I start going, you know what? I'm up here 10 hours a day. And this guy comes up here for 35 minutes on a Sunday and he thinks he's going to tell me all the answers and I start getting angry and I let it start rolling around in my head and I get mad. And you know what? That kind of attitude in my heart is wicked. And almost without exception, when I start thinking, who do they think they are? God will throw into my heart. Consider it others better than yourself and I have to go oh I am so sorry Lord God will use his word in your life to convict you and draw you and correct you and change you nothing else is like that there's no other book that does it that way There's no other sitting around talking with my buddy that happens that way. God's word will come flashing into my brain and say, no, you know that sin. Don't do that. And we as believers have to say, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I like. But when we bow back up on God's word, we do so at your own peril. So God's word reproves. The text says that God's word corrects. Now what's the difference between reproving and correcting? Reproving is convicting you, showing you that it's sin, and correcting you is then putting you on the right path. And those are two different things. And oftentimes we forget that part. We tell people all the time, what you need to do now that you're, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking. You need to stop chewing. You need to stop doing whatever the thing is. And the person was moving in this direction in sin, but we don't replace it with anything. The way to be successful in the Christian walk is that you stop sinning. You repent, but repent is to turn and go the other direction. And so what God's word does is it doesn't just take away the sin. It gives us something so much better. For example, the Bible doesn't just say don't steal. 
The Bible says, let him who stole steal no more, but work with his hands so he can have something to give. God's solution to stealing isn't just stop stealing, idiot. The solution is, is get yourself in a situation financially so you can really find joy, which you're not going to find in just getting stuff. You can really find joy because then you're working with your hands and you're able to give to other people. And so God takes the, the sin out of our hands and replaces it with something way better. And so it's, God's word is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Have you ever been doing something or, or just hearing somebody preach or, or, or reading the Bible and been convicted of something that you've been doing all along that it's sin? Or convicted that maybe there's something in your life that needs to be fixed. Let me give you an example. Actually, um, I realized probably about three months ago um, that much of my life, way more than needs to be, was being consumed by, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody because I I know I'm going to get some blowback on this, but I'm talking about Tom. Facebook and the internet was consuming too much of my time. I would, get, I would go to, the, to my phone. I, I have had this happen. I'd go to my phone to look up a Bible verse. And then three hours later, I'm reading some story on Wikipedia about what Herod ate. And I look up and I go, where did the time go? And so I was reading in Psalm 119 where Paul says... Um, keep me back, your servant, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And so I, I said, you know what? I, I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to 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 cut back on that, and that didn't work. And 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 so what I ended up doing was I got took my smartphone and got rid of it, and I got a dumb phone. I, I found a BlackBerry from like 1994, it looks like, that all it'll do is phone and text. And again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you that I realize that I'm not a big enough adult that I can handle it. I can't walk around with the, the repository of human knowledge in my pocket because if I do, all I'm gonna do is look at cat memes. And Stu, oh, did you see this? I mean, I've joked with the kids the other day when I was preaching more or less the same sermon that we've had parties at my house. At least the kids call it parties. My kids come, hey, can I have a bunch of friends over? And I'm like, sure, yeah, that's fine. And so there'll be 20 teenagers show up at my house. I see them come in the door. I meet their parents. And then, but it's quiet. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I go downstairs, there's nobody out there. And I I go out in the yard and all my kids, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, that you've got these hammock things strung from tree to tree, and you're all laying in a hammock in the yard, which I still don't understand. Maybe I'm just old with you crazy rock and roll music and stuff, and they're doing this. And then every once in a while, someone go, <laughs> hey, let me text you this one. And they're all sitting right there beside each other. Or I've caught myself at a, at a party or have some friends over. And I look around the room and myself included, we're all on our device looking at what other people are doing instead of living our own life. 
Mom and dad, I don't need that, that loud of an amen. And so I, I, in reading this, God protect me from presumptuous sins and then I'll be protected from the great sins convicted me that if I can guard myself against those little things, then maybe I'll have time to do the other thing. And so God's word instructed me it made me realize that something in my own heart was broken that I didn't realize was broken before. Do you see what, what that's doing there? And so God's word is the only book that does that. Now, the final thing I want to talk about instruction and righteousness, and I got to use some, some, uh, some visual aids with this. And see, the timer's broke back there. I'm not getting any time, so I'm just going to keep going. All right, so Ephesians chapter 6, I, I just heard, heard some people go, um, Ephesians chapter 6, we, we've all read that text, and it says, In all cir- circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we hear that, this is what we think of, right? Hey, I'm gonna, Ron, you got to get a picture of this. I'm going to do the Luke Skywalker pose. Um, so this is what we think of. We think of a big broadsword. Well, the way the Romans did warfare was is that they had these shields that were uh, convex and they were covered on the outside with leather, which is why the author here says to take up the shield of faith and they would soak those in water before a battle so if an arrow hit it, it would just be extinguished. And they would literally link those shields together. And this phalanx of, of men would move forward and backwards. And so the people in the very front edge would be fighting. And then the people behind them would hold their shields up so nobody could chuck anything over into the inside. And their shields were all interlocked. There are two Greek words for sword. One is for a broadsword. That's not the one in Ephesians 6 that Paul uses. He doesn't use the word for a broadsword. He actually uses the word for a little short sword that's more for hand-to-hand combat. Something a little bit bigger than this. This is I keep this in my office in case somebody wants to come in and says, Hey, preacher. So <laughs> I ain't trying to tell you how to do your job. Anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, keep telling me, buddy. Um, so those swords, those shields would be interlinked. And then what would happen is, is they would move forward and then they would attack through those shields. My shield didn't protect me. His shield protected me. My sword was to keep anybody off of him. And the person to my right sword kept people off of me. In the Christian walk, I need you to be have faith. And I need you to be in the Word so that if you see me sinning, you can pull me aside and say, Brother, there are people in this church that I've gone to and I've said, You know what? My natural sin tendency is to be a smart aleck. I, this may be shocking information to some of you. <laughs> And so what I need you to do is when you see me doing that, I need you to pull me aside and tell me to shut up. I need his faith and I need him to be in the word. Because this is not a solo act. So to be the church, remember the whole thing that we started from, I probably need to put this down before somebody gets hurt, but um, the whole point 
that we talked about is nobody is in this Christian walk alone. We need each other. We need to be defending each other. We need to be pointing out things in our lives that are good. And we need to be building each other up. And we need to be working together. We need each other. And I don't understand why it is that CR and AA kind of programs have figured that out when it's something that's laid down so clearly in the Bible that that's what church is. Me sitting down with my brothers in Christ and saying, I'm struggling. I don't know what's going on with my marriage. Not my marriage. And I know you're home watching because Lizzie's sick. Hey, Lizzie, nothing's wrong with my marriage, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I need to be able to be real with my brothers and sisters in Christ and know that I, what I'm going to get from you is not your opinion, but God's word. And so God's word is profitable for that. That's what we need. That's why when I preach in here, I try not to just be cute and funny and do a show. We talk about God's word because that's what's going to feed you. That's what's going to make you more like Jesus. And that's what's going to make you survive this battle we call life. The final text, 1 Peter 1 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And so we know that the way to truly be Jesus' church, the way that we'll be Christ's church in this community is by being people that are slaves to this book. Father God, I pray that you help us to be faithful to your word, not getting cast about by every wind of doctrine. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, that this would be an opportunity for them to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, if there's someone in this room who's ignored your word in their life, God, I pray that you would help them repent of that. God, if there's somebody that's looking for a church home, I pray that you would help this to be a church that's Jesus' church for real. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.